All right. Well, good morning and welcome to H2O. It's so great to have you here with us today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are really excited today to continue on with the series that we've been spending our summer walking through. The series that we're doing, we're calling Upside Down. And the heart behind this series is that when Jesus came to this earth, to this world, 2,000 years ago, he truly did turn it upside down, didn't he? I mean, so much changed when Jesus stepped foot on this earth. So much so that we still keep our years, our, our calendar by the time that he was born. I mean, you cannot look at our world and say that Jesus didn't have a massive impact. He truly turned it upside down. And beyond that, he actually said some things and he did some things that were very upside down. They were countercultural, if you want to say it that way. They were unexpected. Uh, he would say things like, uh, you need to actually love your enemies. It's easy to love people that love you, but if you want to be a follower of mine. You need to love your enemies. He would say all these statements that were oftentimes confusing, maybe a little bit challenging. Uh, they, were, they were statements that truly affected people and made them think and change the way that we viewed our spiritual lives still to this day. And so that's the heart of this series, Upside Down. And today we're going to look at a passage in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus makes some of the most upside down statements I think that you could possibly make. Jesus in the passage that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 10 truly redefines and changes is the way that we think about what it means to be significant, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be great. But before we jump into the passage, I want to ask you a, a question. I want to ask you to think about, have you ever finished last at something in your life before? Don't mean to bring up any, you know, memories that are hurtful or anything, but have you ever finished last? Maybe you were uh, out on the kickball field as a kid and you got picked last and maybe it stung a little bit and you still hate sports to this day for that reason or, or maybe you got into sports and you finished last in something or maybe your professor in a college class was grading on a curve and you looked at the very last grade and that was you, you know? Maybe some of us, have you ever had one of those experiences where you finished last? I know for myself, when I was in high school, uh, I was a, I played basketball, that's what I really loved, but I also ran track and cross country, and uh, I don't want to brag about myself, but I was a pretty decent runner, and to be honest with you, I actually got first a pretty good amount of times, I won a decent amount of races, uh, I ran the mile, and I ran the two mile, and so my senior year, it came around, and it was the last time, the funny thing about me running distance is I actually hated to run, and so uh, I, I really had no desire to run, but it was just something that I was decent at, so so I knew my last race my senior year, like that was going to be it. I, and still to this day, like I've hardly run a mile since then. And so I am running in my, my last race. And if you know anything about uh, track in Ohio, you have the districts, which everybody gets to run in. And then from the districts, the top four from each one of those goes to regionals. And so the top 64 runners in regionals all run against each other. And then they take the top four of each one of the four regionals that goes to state. So 16 people go to state. So I make it out of districts, okay? and I'm in regionals. It's a two-mile run race, and, and I know that, like, I'm kind of on the borderline of whether I'm going to make it to the state meet or not, and so I'm like, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm never running another step after this race anyway if I don't make it, so leave it all out there. So I start, I take off in the two-mile run, and the first mile, I'm doing great. I'm in first, second, third place. I'm in the lead pack. I'm, I'm doing really great, but I'm using up all my
my energy. And so as we come around to the second mile, I start to fade and I start to just completely burn out like bad. And all of a sudden I go from second to third to fourth and I'm just watching people pass me. I'm watching people pass me and I'm coming around to the last lap and it's the very last, you know, 100 meters, the last 100 meters that I'll ever run. I look behind me and there's literally only one guy behind me. I'm in second to last and this guy just zooms by me and I just die and I'm going down the straightaway after this career that was pretty decent in running, and I am dead last. And you know what happens when you're dead last? Maybe you've experienced this. You get the pity clap. Good try, buddy. Keep going. You can do it. You're almost there. You know, and I'm like, no, I don't get the pity clap. This is terrible. And I finally cross the line, and I'm like, this is how it's all going to end, isn't it? I got dead last in my last race, the last time I ever ran competitively. And it's not a lot of fun to get last place. You know, it's not something that, that a lot of us set out to do. It's something, actually, that, that kind of stings a little bit. I still remember it to this day. Getting last is something that we don't oftentimes enjoy. But the passage that we're going to look at today, it's upside down because Jesus kind of redefines what it means to be in first and redefines what it means to be last. See, in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus says, many who are first will actually be last and many who are last are actually going to be first. Jesus says, if you want to be great, be a servant. And so the big idea for today is this. Jesus wants servants, not superstars. Jesus wants servants, not superstars. And in our culture, in our world, this is a little bit hard to swallow, right? Because, and there's nothing wrong with pursuing greatness. There's nothing wrong with pursuing first. I'm a competitive person. I love to compete. And that's something that's important. But in our world, oftentimes, you know, we elevate that, don't we? We, we have these debates. You know, maybe you've entered into this debate. I saw some of you guys on Facebook really get into it. Is LeBron, is LeBron greater than Michael Jordan? Who is the greatest basketball player of all time, you know? Or, or maybe, yeah, some people just can't even hold it in right now. They have to blurt it out, right? Uh, or maybe, you know, we think about these music awards that we have or, or these awards for best acting or, or best new song. We, we love to kind of give recognition to whatever we think is first, whatever we think is greatest. We seek after greatness oftentimes. And that's not a bad thing. But the question is, do we have greatness defined accurately? Because Jesus is going to define greatness. Jesus is going to define what it means to be first in a very upside down way. So let's go to his word today. Let's go to the Bible and see what Jesus has to say. Mark chapter 10. We're going to work through this passage together today. And we're going to start in verse 29. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's continually turning their lives and their worlds and their minds upside down. And he says this, Mark chapter, nine, or Mark chapter 10, verse 29. He says, Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecution in the age to come eternal, of eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 
See, we have to know the context of what's going on here in Mark chapter 10. Right before this, as Jesus is walking with his disciples and he is telling them what it means to be great, there was this really rich, really powerful, it says young ruler. So this guy who had a lot of power and a lot of influence in the world and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours. And so Jesus says, okay, great. And he's kind of testing out where this guy is. He says, well, why don't you follow all the commandments? Uh, That's a good starting place. And the guy says, I'm already doing that. So not only is he rich, not only is he powerful, but he's a good person. He's following the law. He's keeping it together. And as he's in this place, he says, I've already done that. Jesus looked at him and said, great, just one other thing. Go sell everything you have and follow me. And it says the man went away sad and broken because he could not do it. And so Jesus is coming off this experience, this interaction with this rich young ruler. And the disciples are like, if that guy can't make it into heaven, if the guy who's rich and has it all together and is actually a good person can't make it into heaven, then do we even have any chance? What does it look like? And Jesus says, listen, I want you to know that many who are first, like this guy, the world is looking around and saying, he's got it all together. He's somebody to look up to. He's somebody to aspire to. Many who are first or last. Now, he wasn't ripping on the guy's wealth. We talked about that. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to have power. It's wrong to cling to those things so much so that we're not able to leave them open-handed for Jesus. So Jesus says, you look at that guy. He looks like he's in first place right now. He's actually in last. And so Jesus is redefining. He's turning upside down what it looks like to be a follower of his. It's not about power. It's not about prestige. It's not about even just keeping the rules. It's about saying, am I completely submitted to you, Lord? Am I completely open-handed with every single thing I have in my life? That's what greatness means. And that's what it means to be first in the kingdom of God. It's interesting, a while back, a long time ago, I was uh, going into this coffee shop to have a meeting with a guy that that I was meeting with, I was trying to help out. And this guy that I was meeting with and trying to help out, he was really struggling in life at this situation. I mean, really struggling. To be honest, his life was a mess. He didn't have things together at all. Uh, He didn't have a job. He was struggling even to get out of bed. He he just, you, you could tell when he walked into the coffee shop that he wasn't in a good place. He wasn't even taking care of himself very well at all. And so I walk into this coffee shop to have a meeting with this guy. And when I come in to sit down, there's this table of guys, a few of them that I knew, a few of them that I didn't know, really successful business people that were having a really important meeting. They were dressed up. It was the middle of the day. I could tell that they were talking about something pretty important. And so I saw them and kind of said hi. And then I walked over to my meeting. And, and I got there a little bit early. And when the guy that I was meeting with walked in, I, I, I saw him walk past the table. And this thought kind of crossed my mind. I kind of thought, man, that's almost a little bit embarrassing. I want to be at that table with the guys who are dressed up, like doing some really important things, rather than meeting with this guy who's really struggling in life. And as soon as I had that thought, like, enter my mind, I remember God just hitting me with this verse. I remember God just saying, Brian, don't you know that I love him just as much as I love them? Brian, don't you know that if he's willing to follow me to the depths of his being, then he is first. He is great in the kingdom of God, 
no matter what type of success or paradigm you're coming from. And see, I think oftentimes in our world, we ascribe a certain set of values to success. And it's just something natural that we do if we're really honest with ourselves. I'm not proud of that story, but it was a really honest thought that I had for just a moment in my heart and in my mind. And Jesus is saying, we have to turn that upside down and realize many who are first will actually end up being last because they have their priorities in the wrong place. Let's jump back into the text. Let's see what Jesus continued to tell his disciples about this. In verse 32, it says this. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and who will spit on him and who will flog him and who will kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Jesus get, just gets done telling the disciples, you, you want to be first? Well, you probably need to put yourself in last. And then he goes on to say, now listen, I'm going to set the ultimate example in that. Jesus explains to his disciples how he will meet his final end here on earth. He's constantly giving them this picture of what's going to happen. And Jesus says to them, listen, uh, I told you that you may have to be last to be first. Well, I'm going to set the example in that because I'm going to go to the cross, a criminal's death, the worst of the worst. You want to talk about finishing last? Talk about dying on a cross, a place that was, that was scorned, a place that people only was reserved for the worst of the criminals and foreign fighters that wouldn't even be able to handle the type of crucifixion of the cross. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to be a servant for you. So listen, follow in my footsteps. Follow in my example. Watch what the disciples do after Jesus tells them that. Look at James and John's response. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for you. Verse 35, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's an interesting response to the God of the universe. I'm going to go be a servant and die for you. Oh, great. Hey, will you do for us whatever we ask? I'm already doing it. Is dying on the cross not enough for you? Can you imagine being Jesus going through those questions and those situations? Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. That's a way nicer response than I would have had. What do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking for, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at the right hand or the left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong for those who've been prepared for. When you think about 
the disciples. You know, oftentimes if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the four books that really teach us and give us the picture of what Jesus' life was like. Oftentimes when you read through the Gospels, you look at the disciples and they kind of get a bad rap and you wonder, do they really deserve a bad rap? And you look at this situation like, yeah, they probably kind of do, right? I mean, how insane is that? To have your eyes so much fixed on yourself that Jesus pours out his heart to you and you just say, hey, will you give us whatever we want? And Jesus says, well, what do you want? And they're like, we want some of your glory. We want some of your glory. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking for. It's like if, you, if you know, you're a parent and your kids are really young and you're like, what do you want for Christmas? They're like, I want a pony. And you're like, no, we live in the suburbs. You know, like we can't have a pony. You don't even know what you're asking for. There's, there's no place for it. You know, there's no possible way that we can do that for you. Jesus is kind of telling them, listen, the glory is mine. I'm interested in people who are going to be servants, not superstars. And as we think about James and John, again, it's so easy to throw the disciples under the bus in these situations. But I wonder how oftentimes many of us have similar thoughts and similar attitudes towards God. When we think about the power of Jesus and the gospel and what he's done for us, how many times do we feel like we want more and more and more, rather than just sitting and resting in the beauty of the gospel. Rather than just sitting and resting in the fact that Jesus already gave us everything we could ever want or imagine, many of us get caught up in the game of asking for more and more and more. You know, how many times have we found ourselves deep in our hearts saying, God, I feel like I deserve this relationship. God, how come you haven't given me a relationship that I'm looking for? God, how come you haven't given me the perfect job that I want? God, how come you haven't given me fill in the blank of whatever you may be wanting more and more and more of? How many times, and it's not wrong to ask God for things at all. In fact, God wants us to ask him for things because that helps deepen our relationship. But the question is our heart. The question is, in our heart, do we feel like entitled to the gifts that God can graciously give us. I have a, a pastor friend of mine, and he uses this phrase oftentimes, and I, I, I thought it hit home with me. It, I think it hits home with many of us. He says, oftentimes, I'm a glory thief. I'm a glory thief. See, James and John were trying to steal some of that glory from Jesus for themselves. Hey, we want some of your glory. We want to sit right on your right and on your left. Can you elevate us to your status, Jesus? Can you elevate us to the status almost of a deity of God? See, they were glory thieves in their hearts sometimes. It's a human thing that we oftentimes do. And I wonder, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been tempted to steal some of that glory from God? You know, maybe God gives you a blessing and you start to think that it was a little bit more about you than it should have been. Maybe God does something powerful in your life and instead of deflecting the attention and the glory to Jesus, you take it for yourself, whether it's inward or outward. Jesus says, if you continue to do that, you're not actually going to be end up in first, although people may look at you that way for a short period of time but you're going to fall further and further and further behind in the kingdom of God. The more glory you steal for yourself, 
the further you fall behind in your relationship with Christ. And those who are continually deflecting the glory to God, who oftentimes in this earth, in this world, may look like they're the least of these, may look like they are in last place. They just got passed in the home stretch and they're getting the pity clap. You know, oftentimes those people are the ones that God is most interested in using because he knows that he can trust them with his good gifts because they'll deflect the glory to him. They're not interested in being superstars. They're interested in being servants. Servants of the God of the universe. Let's see how Jesus closes up. Mark chapter 10. This last section here. Verse 41. It says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I think that's fair, you know. There's 12 disciples. The other 10 are like, you really just asked for that? That's insane. They were in the right mindset at that moment, not James and John. And Jesus called them together. I love picturing this. You know, it's like Jesus just kind of huddling his, his group of followers together. I picture him bringing them close. Guys, 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 quit fighting. Quit yelling at James and John. You know, come here. Listen, verse 42, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all for the, even the Son of Man, even Jesus, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus wants servants. He wants people who are willing to say, God, I'll give you everything I have not superstars. And, and so oftentimes we think that God almost needs us or, or, or needs our gifting or needs us to serve. But Jesus says, I want you to come and be a willing, sacrificial servant, just like I was. He says, many people in this world, they rule it over people, meaning they, they, they tell people, you have to do this, you have to do that. He says, I came a different way. I came and won people over by love by sacrifice. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, a, a mini Christ, a, a follower of him, it means to walk in his footsteps. And of course, that means many times there will be highlights. You know, can you picture being with Jesus when he's healing people and when he's feeding the 5,000? It doesn't mean that all of life is misery at all. I mean, there had to be mountaintop experiences in those moments. But it also means that there will be times where we have to pick up our cross, just as Jesus did, and follow him and carry it, even when it's not pretty. Jesus oftentimes was rejected. He says, if you want to be a follower of mine, you might be rejected at times. Jesus got down on his hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' dirty, stinky, nasty feet. He didn't have to do that. He's the God of the universe. He says, I'm a servant. He did it to show us the posture that he had. Jesus is telling us that we need to be humble if we want to walk in his footsteps. And when we think about that, it's something that I think continually challenges us 
to redefine what greatness actually is, to redefine what it means to be first and redefine what it is to be last. Now, of course, I don't think what Jesus is saying here is we need to be a doormat. We need to constantly let people walk all over us that we can't take care of ourselves. No, that's a part of following Jesus as well. But he says you need to be willingly humble and ready to follow him at any cost. See, humility, maybe you've heard this before. It's a phrase that, that I love that I think about oftentimes. When you think about the reality of what humility is, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Have you heard that before? I know for me, that drastically changes the way I think about servanthood. That drastically changes the way I think about being a humble person because it doesn't mean that you have to constantly beat yourself down. It doesn't mean that you constantly have to say you have no value. In fact, the gospel tells us we have immense value. We have an amazing purpose and plan and God loves you and created every single one of us to have dignity and value. So don't think less of yourself. That's not what it means to be a servant. That's not what it means to be humble. But think of yourself a little bit less. Think of how you can bring God glory. Think of how you can serve other people. Think of how you can serve God. Constantly be looking for opportunities and ways to say, God, how can I make your name famous, not mine? Because that's what it means to be first. So you may be asking, okay, well, that's an interesting concept. Well, what can it look like? What does it look like for me? I think it simply means this, finding out who God made you to be, finding out your giftings, your passions, what you love to do, and then looking for ways to serve God and his kingdom with those things. Looking for needs that can be met, looking for ways to, to step in in the gap in places where people are hurting, in places where, where there's pain and there's suffering, in places where the gospel needs to come in and bring light. Just be yourself. Be who God created you to be. He's not looking for superstars. He's looking for servants. So go into the life that you have right now, knowing that you are fully equipped to make an impact for God by doing one of the simplest things out there, loving and serving people. And as you do that, God is going to reward you and bring you new opportunities to make new impacts and bring you ways to bring him glory. And as you deflect the glory to him, it's an amazing experience because the pressure comes off of us and we get to shine the light of Christ on to others. It's an amazing thing to be part of. See, uh, when we were planning out this Sunday, our staff, we decided to give you all a little gift just as a reminder uh, of how to make an impact. You want to ask the, the greeters to come forward. This is a, a little gift that I'm probably going to hang on my mirror or put somewhere. It's a little ribbon. It says, last place. All right? That's what we think of you guys. All right? You're all losers. No, just kidding. That's not at all what the message is about. But I know for me, it's like, you, you know, you, you keep the trophies where you get first or second, right? And you usually discard everything else. And I know for me, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, I need to be continually reminding myself that it's okay if I take a back seat as long as God is getting the glory. It's okay for me to continually say, that was all about God, not about me. So I want to give you this last place ribbon for you to think about how can you be a servant? How can you use the giftings and the passion that God has given you 
to bring him glory and make him known. That's what it means to be great. That's what it means to be first. And God can and will use you as you move forward in that goal. So I'm going to pray while these guys are finishing up, passing out the ribbons, and invite the band to come up.